Do you like that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Dave was j- joking that the, the prophetic words Mike should echo. <laughs> I don't think Carla heard me. <laughs> oh, they are. Should I make that announcement? Just in case you're wondering about the game, the Eagles are ahead 21-17. All right. The next score check-in can be in another hour. <laughs> Do you th- uh, that would be really distracting. <laughs> All right. I just want to say thank you guys for coming out this evening. Um, Dave Hess is a wonderful, I want to say brother in the Lord, but also to me a father. Um, and so it's just, <laughs> I'll let you describe more of your, your life. But Dave, has, is, Dave and his wife Sherry are pastors at Christ Community Church, which is in Camp Hill. And they lead together there. Um, Dave has been very um, involved in giving oversight at the Hope All Network as well. So like for just a real quick Hope All Network, we're part of the Hope All Network. There are apostolic leaders over the network. And then the apostolic leaders are accountable to other um, people outside of the network. So that's how they get the accountability. And Dave is one of the the people that the apostles of the Hope All Network are accountable to. So um, I don't want to take up the rest of the time. This is your time, but I'd like if we could pray together. So Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the time that we can have together here this evening. And we just invite your spirit to come and continue to breathe life into your word as Dave teaches and as we hear um, the truths of your word. I would pray for your anointing on him. And just that you would give us an understanding and um, a humility as we look at your scriptures together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, well, good to be with you tonight. Uh, I've known Dwayne and Kendra for how many years now? Several decades, at least. We've been involved with Hopewell for about maybe close to 30 years. So uh, uh, it's, been, it's been a wonderful relationship. We love the emphasis on the word and the spirit. And so we're, we're quite connected to Dove Fellowship and our church. And, and personally, uh, we are a part of Harvest Network. But all those networks work together. It's really cool how it's, it's like this competition-free zone. And, and we take it for granted. But, but a lot of people that are coming in from outside of our area say, wow, we don't, we don't mix real well. But I, I love the fact that we're, we're modeling what what being different streams and flowing together is all about. So uh, my friend uh, Mark McComber is, is with me tonight, and Mark and I have known each other a really long time. And uh, I don't know, like, yeah, yeah, at least. So uh, we're, we're, uh, we're grateful. Mark, Mark and his wife Diane um, oversee a ministry to people in domestic crisis. And, and domestic abuse. And, and so uh, we've, uh, we've really seen the Lord uh, calling the body of Christ to step in where people are hurting. And they're doing an amazing job with that. And so that's been, uh, that's been wonderful. And what I want to talk, to you to, to talk with you tonight about is, is very much in that vein. I believe the Lord is, is calling us to uh, uh, move ahead and, and blaze the trail 
We're called to be the head and not the tail and to blaze the trail for what it looks like when men and women, sons and daughters, uh, flow together in their gifts and their calling. And the phrase we, we've come to like in our own church is uh, we, we believe that we're called to be gift-based and not gender-biased. And the real question is what, is, what is the gifting and calling on someone's life and how can that be fulfilled? And the, uh, the Lord is pouring out his spirit on all flesh and sons and daughters are to flow together and, and share together in that ministry. But I will tell you, I did not always believe what I'm talking to you about tonight. I've had to learn some things. I've had to unlearn things. I was raised in a church culture where we were taught that because we have the Bible, we don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I had a major learn, learning curve on that. In fact, first time I was in a church where people lifted their hands in worship, I thought I was in a cult. <laughs> Definitely, I was looking, you know, where the Kool-Aid was and, you know, what, what's going on here? And, and so, uh, and I was raised Methodist. So anytime I was in a church where they didn't follow the bulletin, I mean, with, there was no surprises in the Methodist church. I mean, they said, you will stand now, you will sit down now. I mean, we were, you know, we were really trained, and, and so spontaneity was scary to me, too. And so many things I've had to unlearn and, and, and learn fresh things. But I uh, grew up in a church where uh, men sat on one side, women on the other. And it was very clear the women were never to teach adults. They could uh, watch children in the nursery and cook. And that was about it. And so uh, I, I, as I got a little bit older, I asked one of the older uh, male elders in the church, why are the women on that side? Why, why, why don't you sit with your wife? And he said that it went back to the book of Corinthians when there was disorder in the church and women didn't understand what was being preached and they would yell over to their husband, hey, Harry, what's that about? And they created confusion. And so that's why we sit on different sides and the women keep silent. And I thought, that's a long time to be in time out. You know, it's like really, that's, that's cruelty. Uh, but uh, that was, you know, that's what, that's what we live with. But uh, um, my, my wife and I have been married 45 years. We met at Messiah College. Uh, I'm, I'm a mercy-motivated uh, kind of, you know, my wife would say when she met me, she peeled me off the wall. I was very shy. I didn't, I, I don't, I didn't have a need to do what I'm doing tonight. In fact, I was deathly afraid of getting up in front of people and talking. Uh, in fact, my, my biggest fear was, was the first day of school when you had to say, if you're here, when they gave the attendance and my voice was changing. And so, and, and I was, I was uh, the youngest in my class. We started in New England. I, I started school when I was four. So we moved down here to Pennsylvania, and everybody was a year older than me. So their voices were changing. They were, you know, and so they'd give the attendance call, Harry, here, here. And then mine was, <laughs> I was just, I was deathly afraid of that. So, you know, my wife is, is totally the opposite. Uh, some of you might have met her, but my wife is a bouncy, you know, I'm more Eeyore, she's Tigger, and she's, she's uh, just prophetic and fun and, and, you know, life of the party and cheerleader, and she urges people to press on, and, and uh, I go around saying it'll be okay, and, you know, kind of, it kind of works together, but uh, uh, we got married, and uh, we were living in a nearby county, 
And my wife candidated for a ministry that needed an administrator, and she's very administrative, and they hired her. And so we carried all of her things in, set up her office, and the next day she went for her first day of work, and there was a sign on the door, your services are no longer needed here. Of course, she actually never even started. And so she called me crying and said, you know, we gotta, I got to move out. And no one's here. No one physically is there. They just stuck a sign on my door. So we packed her office, unpacked her office, and came back home. And then later that day, they didn't call us. We called after them. Finally, I got someone on the phone. And they said, well, Dave, you got to understand this. Uh, When we hired your wife, uh, one of the pastors who's the major donor to this ministry was on vacation. He came back. When he found out we hired a woman, he said, I'm withdrawing all of my money and all of my support. And so I got an upfront and personal taste of attitudes that some people have toward women in leadership. Now, I will tell you, my wife is very honoring. She's not a women's liber. I'm not a feminist. I want to see everybody free. She wants to see everybody free. So this was not about women's rights. It was just about what's the calling on your life and what the gifts are on your life. And so that kind of opened the door to this pursuit. So um, flashback to a few years ago, well, probably now it's like 20-some years uh, so that's really a flashback. Um, I felt the Lord one day said, I feel like the father, I felt like the father said to me, uh, David, would you be willing to stand up as a big brother in the family and open the door for my daughters to come into their calling? And I said, yes. Little did I know what I'd be stepping into. And so I started to go into the word because if it's not in the word, I don't want to do it. If, if his word doesn't back it up, I don't want to do it. And so I started to pursue the heart of God in the Word, and uh, I'll just give you a quick flyover, and then we'll have a time for Q&A, uh, which I, I would welcome. Uh, I want this to feel like a, a, a living room, not a courtroom. So I'm, I would make a terrible lawyer. I'm not here tonight to try to convince anybody of anything other than to share my journey and then you know, see, see where the Lord's taking all of us. But I, I looked in uh, Genesis one at creation and i saw uh number one the first time god's name is mentioned in the bible it's the name elohim e-l-o-h-i-m which is a plural noun and it's a plural it's it i believe it really speaks of the trinity and and then god says let us make them in our image male and female so the us Contrary to some beliefs that God was lonely, so he created people, kind of like you would buy a puppy, uh, is not quite true. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were very uh, content with one another, but they wanted to share their love. God is love, and love is relational. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit love one another, and out of that love said, let's make in our image, male and female, in our image. So It's not like men are in the image of God or women are in the image of God. We're both in the image of God. And it takes us together to bring the image of God to the planet. And I believe this is crucial for uh, the harvest we're in. And I I like to refer to the harvest not so much as harvest. I'm, I'm not a farmer background. So I like to call it homecoming. I believe there are lots of, of orphaned sons and daughters that are going to be coming home and getting saved and getting to being brought into the family of God. 
And we need healthy fathers and mothers to see the house be healthy. So I think uh, God's all over it. But this whole thing of let us make them in our image. And then a couple key words that, that just stuck out to me in creation. Um, woman is called helper. I'll make a helper for you. The word helper doesn't mean a sidekick like Robin to Batman. It actually means a worthy partner. And the word helper is used to describe the Holy Spirit. It's used to describe God standing as a, as a, as a partner with. And so uh, it, it actually is a word that means to, to surround, protect, and help and, and, and to be equal to the one being helped. So th this is a thing about mutual helping of one another a helper suitable for him. And then in creation, uh, upon the creation of woman, and, and uh, woman did not come from a rib of Adam. She literally came from a whole side of Adam. And I don't understand all of this. I'm just glad for Adam's sake he was asleep when this happened. I would not want to be awake for that. And so it was as if he, he was split down the middle. So God was the first one to split the Adam. And he, and he, so, so, and, and divided these two. And then when Adam wakes up, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, which I always thought was kind of funny. It sounded to me like something a pirate would say, you know, ah, bone of me bone, flesh of me flesh, you know, and, but, but uh, actually bone of my bones means we are of the same substance. You're a separate person, but you're equal to me. And it was only at that point, everything in creation up to that point was good, 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 good. But God said very good over the creation of man and woman. And so he loves, he loves this expression that we bring of uh, male and female together. Now, of course, we know sin came in. The, the enemy came in like a serpent and he deceived them into revolting against God and thinking they could be you shall be as God means in the place of God. You'll be your own God. Get all the information and you won't need God. You can run it yourself. And after that revolt, of course, there was division between uh, God and, and Adam and Eve. There was division between the, one another, between man and woman, between Adam and Eve. And God came and God, God sadly uh, made some declarations and Genesis chapter 3, a good part of that is written like what we would call a Hebrew lament. It would be a sad song. And so it's like God singing a sad song. And in the sad song, he said this to the woman, uh, Genesis 3.16, uh, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Just reading that like I just did, it could sound like, okay, he's going to rule her and she's going to like him. Not what that says. In fact, there are some guys that that's one of their favorite verses in the Bible. And I always tell young husbands, hey, if you want to live long, don't put that in, in an anniversary card. <laughs> hey, baby, Genesis 3.16. I rule, you like me. No, not, not really. You know, I say... In your dreams, That's, that is not going to work. Uh, the, the, the words are really, are really potent words. 
The, the word for ruling over her is to dominate and demean her. So God's saying, you know, here's what's going to happen because of sin. This relationship created as let them be like we are, there's no competition with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, I mean, they just flow together. They honor each other. I mean, you have the Father honoring Jesus. My son, I'm well pleased with him. Jesus saying, hey, what I say, I heard the Father say. And then Jesus saying, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He's just like me. And the Holy Spirit says, Jesus is amazing. And I mean, there's, there's this amazing relationship. There's no jealousy. There's no competition within the, within the Trinity. And that's how God created us to be with one another in his image. Uh, but suddenly the competition came. And he said, because of sin, uh, man will want to rule over the woman and the woman will despise him. And, and right now we see a resurgence of abuse going on in the home where there are many men dominating, manipulating, intimidating, and even wounding psychologically, physically, uh, the women in their lives. And then, the, do you know that, that one of the number one sites on the internet that women are going after and joining like a lot, it's right up there, one of the top ones is called Kill All Men. Hashtag Kill All Men. It's a reflection of this word that God said. There's going to be this animosity and hatred and this vicious cycle of competition between men and women. And uh, God never intended that to, uh, to be the case. And so it's, it's not merely feminism and chauvinism. It's uh, what we would call misogyny, which is the hating of women and treating women as inferior, and misandry, which is resentment and retaliation against men. And it's that vicious cycle that goes on to this day, and it's because of sin. But God promised that I'm going to send my seed, Jesus, and he's going to crush the enemy's head, his authority, and bring a whole new kingdom. I believe right now we're in the middle of this release of a kingdom on the earth that models men and women in healthy relationships with one another. And, and I think a friend of mine said it this way, the early church turned the world upside down not because they so opposed the culture, prevailing culture of that day, but, but because they were so good at seeing kingdom culture established among them, they made people jealous to be part of that. And people long to see healthy relationships. And I, I, I believe this is all part of the Holy Spirit healing dysfunction, not only in our natural families, but in the family of God. Because, I mean, there, I could tell you story after story of some of the most horrendous things I've heard people say. Not only in these days, but, I mean, Martin Luther, okay, Reformation, great. He, ding, 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 that was excellent. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. But Martin Luther said, made a statement at one point in time that to try to teach a woman is like teaching a monkey. Way to go, Martin Luther, ding, ding, ding. I don't know. I don't know how far he went with that one with his wife, but uh, you know that's that's on the books. And and there are other church fathers that made just as as strong, hurtful, even hateful statements through the years that you know we don't often hear about, but it but it goes on. But uh, even though uh, God lamented that things were happening this way, um, there there were those in the Old Testament that modeled men and women working together. One of my favorites is Deborah and Barak in the book of Judges. And in Judges chapter uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, 
this team, and Deborah and Barak were not married to one another. They had spouses. Their spouses blessed them to fulfill their calling. Deborah and Barak called and encouraged one another forth into their calling, and together they, um, they brought uh, uh, Israel out of 20 years of oppression by the Canaanites. And at one point, Deborah calls, prophetically calls Barak forth into his destiny, and Barak turns right around, I'm quoting this from Judges 4.8, Barak turns right around to Deborah and says, just as you called me into my destiny as a warrior, I'm linking my destiny to yours, and I call you into your destiny as a strategic leader who hears from God. Then listen to this phrase, our gifts are incomplete without each other, I'm not going without you. And I think if there's anything that I would say reflects what the heart of God was for us to be one as they're one, I think that's, that's right in there. Now, uh, there, are other, there are other women. I, have a, I brought a couple of my books along tonight uh, called Side by Side. Um, I did a seven-year study. I went back to school, which that's a miracle in itself. I went back. I didn't do well in school. Uh, my wife did, did very well. She was uh, summa cum laude. I was thank the Lord. In school, I just, I just, just <laughs> thank the Lord I got through, and I think the teachers were doing the dance too that they finally got me out of there. But, uh, um, but I, I went back to school and I did a seven-year study on this whole thing. So this, this comes out of conviction. It comes out of time of research. I, I own over two hundred books on the issue of men and women leading together, and a lot of the books are against it. Some are for. I kept the ones against. I I wanted to hear what everybody has to say, and uh, and and you know and, and take a look at it for myself. But uh, I would I would say that um, it's it's just important to see what Joel prophesied toward the end of the the Old Testament. He's he made this this prophetic declaration. Joel two twenty eight. The Lord said, "I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy." Your old, old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. So it's really the heart of God to pour out his spirit on men and women and for us to flow together. Now, right after Joel prophesied that, you enter into a period that's called the intertestamental period between Malachi or Malachi, if you prefer uh, uh, the Italian prophet Malachi and Matthew. There's there's 400 years uh, where there was no prophetic voice. There was it was 400 years where the the Greeks and Romans took over Israel, and their their anti-woman bias infiltrated Israel. And so it's important to know a couple of things here. It's important to know that um, that the culture in Israel was not conducive to women. Um, being respected, honored, and included. And it's important to know that because when Jesus stepped on the scene, he didn't listen to those biases. In fact, every place they said, don't walk on the grass, he walked on the grass. Every place they said, we don't do this, he did it. And not, not to just be controversial, but to be obedient to, to uh, his heart. And so here are a couple things important to know. In, in that period of time, and, and then moving into Jesus' uh, time on the earth, women couldn't go to the synagogue and speak. They could sit outside. There was a certain little area reserved in the synagogue and in the temple where women and children could go, but it was like outside in the, 
in the, in the, the outer courts. <clears throat> they were not allowed to study scripture or read them. They, they were not allowed to be disciples of rabbis, women. Uh, they weren't allowed to speak to men in public except their husbands, only if their husband allowed it. If their husband said, I don't want you talking when we're in public, she had to listen to it. Um, and then based on the Pandora myth that the, that the Greeks brought into the culture, Eve was blamed for all the problems in the world. So it, it kicks back to Adam. Adam saying, this woman you gave me, which is kind of a dual slap. It's your fault. You made her. And it's her fault. She, it's not my fault. So it's kind of early narcissism at work right there on the planet. Uh, Adam not taking any responsibility at all, blaming it on God and blaming it on, on, on his wife. Um, that was there. And then this is another thing. Women were, were considered unreliable uh, witnesses. So uh, a, a woman could never even go to court because if she said something happened that way, it probably didn't because she's emotional and exaggerated and she's a drama queen. And so there was that philosophy that was in the culture at that time. So Jesus comes along. Along comes Jesus. He speaks openly to women in public. In fact, the longest conversation in the Gospels is Jesus talking to the women, woman at the well. So, and then, do you remember when, uh, when Mary, Mary, Mary and Martha, Martha's busy doing the work and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Um, Martha's complaining, yeah, you know, I'm doing all the work and, you know, there Mary is. And, and Jesus said, Mary's found the necessary thing. Well, sitting at his feet as, and he was, he was rabbi, they called him teacher, rabbi. Um, sitting at the, at a rabbi's feet meant you were a disciple. You remember Paul said he learned at the feet of Gamaliel, the rabbi. So that's the posture of being a disciple. So Jesus honored Mary for her, her heart to want to learn. And, and, he, and he taught her. And um, whenever Jesus taught crowds, it was either on the hill, outside, or when it was even close to the synagogue or close to the temple, he deliberately went to the places that everybody could be there. And even when he was at the places where everybody could be there, Peter said, get those kids away from Jesus. And Jesus said, no, suffer the children not. To, let them come to me. Uh, so, um, so Jesus you know, openly ministered to both uh, men and women and children, honoring all, all ages, both genders. And just for the record, I believe in two genders. You know, it's just, uh, um, I, I, I was a man inside a woman's body and then I was born. So. <laughs> that was, that was really bad. And then, and then Jesus, think about this. Okay, women couldn't go to court. They were unreliable. Jesus rises from the dead. Who does he entrust the evidence to? The women. And said, you go tell your brothers that I'm risen. And when they told the guys, they didn't believe him. And they had to run to see for themselves. And when Jesus first appeared to his male disciples after the resurrection, um, he rebuked them for not believing the women. Because he said, in my kingdom, we're going to undo a lot of these things, and we're not going to behave like this any longer. In fact, um, close to half of Jesus' disciples were women. 
there were the 12 that traveled primarily together, but over half of his disciples were women. And if you've seen the series, The Chosen, which I, I really love, I, I mean, just the, the guy is the greatest Jesus. I, I you know, I, I grew up with Jesus played by Max von Sydow, who's, uh, you know, from, from uh, Star, Star Trek, I think it was, and he's a spooky suffer the children to come to me. I thought, yeah, I'd be suffering coming to you, buddy. It's just, it was scary, a scary Jesus, you know, creepy Jesus. And this is great. But but it does, the, the Chosen series does highlight the fact that men and women were part of Jesus' entourage of disciples. And so uh, that's, that's, that's really cool. And so you move into the New Testament and just a couple things to highlight. I'm just hitting some high points because uh, I'd love to, to then we talk. But um, let's take the upper room. It wasn't just all men in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Men and women were in the upper room. And men and women were together when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and the church began. I believe that men and women weren't just sitting around the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall. I believe that they had to process some things and make some decisions. I think they had to process the fact that there was betrayal and offense going on among the disciples. And there was a need for some relational healing and some honesty. And I believe both men and women participated in that because by the time the Holy Spirit was poured out, they were in one accord. I believe there's some inner healing that went on and relational healing that went on. And I believe both men and women were part of that. And then there was organization that went on because after the Holy Spirit fell and thousands came to Jesus, they were, they were organized ready with house groups and, and gatherings so they, they, it's almost like they dug the trenches together, so to speak, before the rain fell. So they wouldn't lose it. So there was a lot of wisdom in that, in that upper room. And uh, you move through the New Testament, you see, um, uh, you see women serving in every role as, as pastors. The, the elect woman, it's called the elect lady or the elect woman in, in John's second letter. She was a senior pastor of a network of churches. And there were women as, that served as prophets and women that served as apostles. Uh, Romans 16, Paul honors uh, 29 leaders. And Romans, Romans 16 is one of those chapters that most people don't underline. Because it's kind of like the credits at the end of the movie. And you're like, okay, the story's over. You know, let's just, let's, let's, let's walk out, beat the crowd to the parking lot. And so we don't really read that. But there, there, are, there are 29 leaders mentioned, and one-third are women. And they were, they were significant leaders in the church. And there was a woman uh, named uh, uh, Junia Andronicus, a man's name. Junia, a woman's name. Romans 16, 7. They were outstanding among the apostles. Uh, Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, the things I've taught you and trust what I've taught you to reliable, some versions say men, but the uh, word that's used there is anthropos, which means men and women. Not the word andros, which would mean only men. So Paul said to Timothy, hey, what I'm teaching you, you tell reliable men and women, people of character, so that they in turn can join you as a whole teaching team to teach other people. So, um, and probably the biggest thing, there's some other things you have in your notes, but uh, another thing for me to emphasize tonight is that, 
Paul was a, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And one of the common uh, Pharisaical prayers that were prayed loudly in public every day was, I thank you, uh, praise be to you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, because you've not made me a Gentile. And I praise you, oh, oh Adonai, uh, God and King of the universe, because you didn't make me a slave. And I praise you because you didn't make me a woman. Now, can you imagine being a little girl growing up in that community and your spiritual leaders are out in the street praying loudly, thanks for not making me a Gentile, not making me a slave, and not making me a woman. So Paul prayed that every day, most likely as a Pharisee. Paul's writing to the Galatians, and he writes in Galatians 3, 28, 29, in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. It's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no, no more ethnic division. There is no more slave or free, no more economic division. And there's no more male or female, no more uh, gender division between one's in, one's out. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all heirs of the promise. It's almost like Paul went right back to that prayer he had prayed every day and just dynamited it and said, I want to break that curse that I was part of speaking and I want to release a blessing that in Christ all of us are needed. You know, I grew up in a, in a community where we had a community pool. And uh, the worst time of the day as a kid was uh, the adult swim every hour. You had to get out of the pool for 15 minutes and you're, you're standing on the sidewalk, which was like a grill. And, uh, and then three women with rubber hats and daisies would kind of stand in a circle and talk. There's this whole pool, and they're just right there. And so you had to stand for 15 minutes and watch these, you know, watch these, these, these women with rubber hats and daisies talk. And then, and then I couldn't wait until the lifeguard stood up on the lifeguard stand and, and blew the whistle and said, everybody in the pool. Now, so I knew what it was like to feel left out. I believe the Holy Spirit is blowing a whistle right now and saying everybody in a pool. Let's let the men in. Let's let the women in, the young, the old, all together. This is going to take all of us. And, and see, see, we can't be effective in the body of Christ with one arm tied behind our back. We, we need everybody to show up. And so we fought long and hard with this issue in our church about 18 years ago. We took three years with an all-male eldership to process the scriptures that I'm going to share with you in a minute that just kind of stuck us in thinking it only men can lead. And we came to the place that after three years, the Lord just opened our eyes. In fact, he has a sense of humor. We were in the middle of a building program, and uh, we, we reached an impasse, and we said, okay, let's take a week to fast and pray and see what God gives us. So we did that. We came back together after a week, and we went around the table. And one by one, all the men said, I sought the Lord. He said this. Uh, I sought the Lord. He said this. We were all in agreement. Yay, the wisdom of God, the power of fasting and prayer. Then one guy was honest. He said, well, I got to tell you the truth. Uh, uh, my wife prayed and fasted. And she actually heard that and told me. And another guy said, same with me. 
And uh, by the time we were done, all the guys around the table said, well, actually, yes, my wife heard that. And that's how we got it. And then we had a good laugh and realized that, wow, the Holy Spirit is trying to show us that you need one another. So I will tell you, we've had now, well, we've had about 18 years of men and women leading together because of calling. We don't, we don't put token man or token woman on a team just because we want to have equality. No, according to gifting. But I would say the, the wisdom pool of not only how we do, what we do, but how we do it, when we do it, it's, it's just amazing. And just like a healthy family needs a mom and a dad, the body of Christ needs moms and dads. And so our experience has been wonderful. And um, we've, we've had things to work through. We ran our meetings. We were run by men, so they were run like men's meetings. How you doing? How about them bears? Let's get the job done. See you later. They didn't connect. No, no, no really interpersonal kind of stuff going on. And when, when the sisters started to join the meetings, they said, did you know so-and-so's going through some health problems? No, he looked okay to me. Yeah, well, well, no. And did you know that, that, that this, this couple, they're, 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 they're having some trouble in their family? No, they, they seem happy. I saw them walking across a parking lot. They look fine to me. <clears throat> you know, we... I'm not trying to make men look stupid, but but we you know we all we all have different things that we're perceptive of, and so suddenly we began to care for one another better and be connected much better, and so uh, both men and women are saying we've loved to interact with one another, and uh, and and so that's been good. Now, now let me just uh, let me highlight. I tell you what, let me just jump into the juggler vein of the scripture that seems to be the biggest hurdle for people and that's first timothy 2 okay let's just go let's just go right to the elephant in the room first timothy chapter 2 let me see okay first timothy 2 says this Verse, um, <clears throat> verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Now, simply reading it like that, not in context with the whole letter or all of Paul's letters or all of the Bible, simply reading that passage, it seems to say women have no part in leadership. Women shouldn't talk. They should keep absolutely silent. And the best thing for a woman to do is to be pregnant. Because you, and there I will tell you, I've got books I have books in my possession down in the basement that have said exactly what I just said. In fact, I have books in my basement that said what God said in Genesis 3.16 was what God wanted to do all along. And he kind of teased us with having man and woman try it together equally. It didn't work because God knew it wouldn't. And then God said, aha, here's how it's going to work. He rules she submits and, and is subdued, basically. Submit, by the way, will be 
can get to that word later. But submit is not a bad word, but but it's been convert. It's been translated as subdued or suppressed, and and so I've I've got books that say that, and I, I still have them in my possession. They're they're a little, you know, the 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 binders are bent from me throwing them against the wall at times, but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but so. What is what is this all about? Well, let me, let me just make this statement. Context in studying the Bible, especially in studying the letters in the New Testament, is so important. Context is important. <clears throat> let me illustrate it this way. We needed some wall hangings in our house. And so we went to Hobby Lobby because once every other month they have a special. If you buy one, you get the second one free whether you need it or not. But hey, we're Pennsylvania Dutch, so if we get something for half price, whether we like it or not, we're getting it because it's we got a deal on that. It might look ugly as sin, but we tell people, you know what, I only paid two bucks for that. Ooh, yeah. So, so um, you know, we went, and, and my wife said, you know, Dave, Dave, would you, would you go look, just go look through the sections and see if you can find, we need something for this bedroom, and we need something for the bathroom oh, over the porcelain throne. We need something for right there. I said, okay. So she's off looking at other things and I'm looking, I'm looking for the one for the bathroom. And I found at Hobby Lobby, they have different sections like kitchen, you know, dining room, living room, bathroom. So I went in the kitchen section and I was feeling Nixie that day. If you're Pennsylvania Dutch, you'll know what I mean. You know, my grandma used to say you're being a nixnutz, in, which is me being nixie. And so, so I was feeling nixie that day. So I went in, I went to the bathroom section and I, or, or to the kitchen. I went to the kitchen section to find something for the bathroom. And I did. And I came back. I said, honey, I found the perfect, the perfect thing for the, for the bathroom. And it was in the kitchen section. It said, life is short, lick the bowl. And so, <laughs> she did not find that amusing. But the point I'm making is context is important, you know? <laughs> a sign intended for the kitchen should stay in the kitchen, you know what I mean? So, the letters in the New Testament are correcting problems. They're addressing issues, and, and it's important to realize it's almost like you're listening to one side of a conversation. And the question we need to ask is, what's the bigger picture? What's the bigger issue that they're, that they're dealing with? Well, here in, in Timothy's letter, Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus, and Ephesus was the center of the worship of the pagan goddess uh, Artemis or Diana. And it was, a, it was a, a, a huge feminist cult. Actually, same roots and almost same philosophy as Wicca, as white witchcraft. They believed that Eve was not deceived, but she was enlightened, and Satan was the good guy in the garden, and God was the bad guy. They taught that, that, that God was holding out on them, and Satan wanted them to have more wisdom, and so Satan was the good guy. They also taught that being pregnant was a profane submission to men, so don't get pregnant. But if you do, ask Diana and she will either help you by terminating the child in your womb or she will help you through childbirth, but Diana will do that. And they also taught female superiority to men 
and that only women should teach, men should not teach. It was, it was a retaliation, it was an extreme reaction to male dominance in the culture. Paul is addressing an issue, and we have to ask the question, is this word to Timothy a law for all churches at all time, or is it, is it correcting a problem that Timothy was facing and telling him what to do? Now, now, a couple really key words. One, the word permit, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority. The word permit doesn't simply mean you can't talk. It actually, the word permit is to give permission to someone to be a significant leader, to have significant influence. And I give you permission. I've been given permission tonight to share with you because of, of uh, a trust relationship we've built over the years. So that is how the word permit would be used there. The word have authority, which seems to be the real issue here, is a word called authentane. I have it there in your notes. It's a word that's only used one time in the New Testament, and it means to usurp authority. It doesn't mean to, to have a position of authority in a good way. It means to dominate somebody else or take somebody's position. Paul is saying, <clears throat> I don't put people in authority who usurp authority. And he's recommending that these women, speaking, I believe, of the women coming from the temple of Diana who wanted to teach and influence the church, that until they unlearn their heresy, they can't teach or have authority in the church. And they don't get authority by usurping the authority. They have to walk into authority the same way every man and woman should walk into authority with the, uh, with the trust built and the honor given and, and respect. And so Paul is, is addressing a specific problem at a specific time. Um, he's really addressing wrong teaching, not just wrong gender. He's, he's saying there's an issue of wrong teaching. And Timothy, you've got to guard that in the church. The other, just one other passage, and I'd love for us to talk. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. First uh, Corinthians 14. This is a good one. First Corinthians 14, verse uh, 34. Let's see, here we go. Okay, verse 14. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but they must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Then King James picks this word up. Some versions don't. What? With a question mark. If you've uh, uh, King James, it'll have that there. Did the word of God originate with you? Now, Paul has just, again, once again, we have the context, okay? Remember the Hobby Lobby thing? Context is important. What, why would Paul say this? Now, Paul has just gotten done teaching how women prophesy in church. Then, why would he say women should keep absolutely silent? The word here for silent means you don't even sing, talk. You don't make a noise. It means, it means you, you know, you... You, you don't even, you don't, you don't speak up at all. Why would Paul teach how women prophesy 
unless they're mime prophets. How do, how, why would you teach how women prophesy and then say they can't talk? Okay, well then, what, what is with all this, Dave? Well, think of the letters as a conversation. And Paul lets us know that this letter was written in response to a letter he got from the leaders. The only way this seems to make sense to me is in the letter Paul got from the leaders at Corinth, they reported, hey, we got a problem. Women are yelling out during the service, creating, uh, creating confusion, and uh, we, we don't know what to do with it. So we, we had a committee meeting, and we came to this conclusion. Women should be silent in the church like it used to be in the old days in the synagogue. It says here, as the law says. Now, I'll tell you, the law of Moses doesn't say anything about women keeping silent. The Le Leviticus, you can search it. It's not in there. It was a law that they had put in place in the synagogue that a woman can't talk. And they said, let's go back to those good old days where the women just kept quiet, and then we wouldn't have this problem. That'll solve it. Well, the, 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 the funny thing is just at the end of verse 35, beginning of 36, the word what, which is rightly translated by the King James, the word, the word what is a little slashy mark. It's kind of like a Greek emoji. And if, if, if I were to describe that emoji, I would make this expression. It's like, Paul said, okay, let the women keep silent. We don't want anybody talking. This is how we want it to be. And then Paul goes, what? 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 Did the, and then he asks the question, did the word of God originate with you? You know, who, who died and made you God is almost what he's saying. And so, so it, it se that seems to be the only way it would fit, not, here's how women prophesy, oh, let them keep silent. So that's my explanation of that one. That's, so I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear questions you might have and, and uh, comments and et cetera, et cetera. I'd love to, uh, love to hear that. So, so yeah, Dwayne, if you want to be the roving Micer, that would be that'd be great. Any questions or any comments or any? Might feel like we can talk loud enough, but we are recording it as well. Yeah, so that's that why we're doing the mic. We won't be able to hear the question yeah. later, so yeah, that's why we're using the mic too. Yeah. So there's questions or thoughts. I could sing the Jeopardy music a little bit while we. <laughs> Questions or thoughts? Yeah. To the topic? And it's okay to, like, but I've how heard. How many, of you, how many of you, this is, uh, this is new to you tonight? This is new. Anybody? Okay. How many of you, what I'm talking about, was not part of your uh, of your experience growing up? Okay. So you ha you saw it done it a little bit different. Okay. Okay. Did you did you ever have a question as you were growing up? Like you know what's what is with this? Or I mean, I didn't right away. I thought, hey, this is this is just how we do church. When you started to have questions, what, what, 
what was ruminating and I started to think maybe, maybe this shouldn't be done this way. Any thoughts? So I don't want people feeling uncomfortable right now. Often when you do the Q&A time, I feel like I'm at an auction. And suddenly my head itches and I'm afraid I'm going to go home with, you know, something I didn't want to buy, you know. Some, some uh, you know, <laughs> flamingo lawn ornament or something. <laughs> I think, Dave, one of the things for me as I was, like, wrestling through this in the last two decades... Um, Probably one of the first things, my first response was feeling like God got my gifts wrong. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I think we need to consider is we have made certain gifts male gifts and certain gifts female gifts, and they are, they are not that way. Uh, I, I know of, I know of uh, women who are called, like my wife, who are wired to to give leadership and administration that felt my wife thought for a while she had to apologize for being a woman and and having insights and she felt at times she had to dumb herself down to be received and then i know of guys that have compassionate mercy gifts they make amazing counselors but they felt like i'm too soft i need to be more ger fight i need to err you know i need to, to to change that and and i i don't fit and lord why did you give me this gift and, you know why did you give me a woman gift in a man's body why did you do that and i think we've gotten in trouble when we've assigned certain gifts to certain genders i think there's a yeah there's a question thank you why were the um, that to be the superior person instead of the winner because um, men didn't typically think so clearly because um, they were always looking at one thing or like one part of the picture instead of the whole thing right aside to women which they were looking at the whole thing um, I'm not sure if I got all of that so me a little bit. Do you, do you, here we go, Dwayne. Help me. Help me um, why? Why were the men um, superior instead of the women? Why were the men superior instead of the women? Yeah. Well, I think I think there are a number of things. There's this there's this understanding that um, husband is the head of the wife which we've taken to think is that means superior. I'm in charge. She's, she just follows along. And uh, uh, the word head, head of the wife, means one who releases. It's, it's used to describe the headwaters of a, of a river that releases the whole river to flow. So our role as men is not to dominate women, but it's to release women and, and affirm women and see them flow, just like Jesus wants his church to flow. So I think there was that. And I think there was insecurities. I think there were wounds. A lot, of, a lot of theology develops out of hurts, hurt feelings, bad experiences, you know. We had, when we moved ahead as, a, as an all-male leadership to look at these issues, some of our all-male, of our male, I'm not saying it right, anyway, some of our male elders were saying, I had to face the fact that I resented my mom bossing my dad around or 
I was in a church where there was a, a senior pastor's wife who ran everything and ran men into the ground. And so I blamed all women. And I said, look, that's what happens when a woman leads. So we had to, we had to deal with offenses that we had and judgments that we made uh, with someone who was, who was unhealthy. Not because they were a woman or a man, but because they just needed healing and needed to forgive people, you know. So does that help? Yeah, usually it's rooted in some kind of, a, a lot of really bad a, a theology has come out of people being wounded and being offended and, and you know, so, uh, I mean, I, I know people that, that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit and when you press in, why? Well, somebody gave them a wacky prophetic word, which happens. And so the easiest way to not have wacky prophetic words is don't allow any of them, you know, and so... I mean, the Corinthians, man, they were, they were a mess. They had, you know, they were fighting over speaking in tongues. They had tongues wars in their services. They had like the Shandama showdown every Sunday, and they were trying to out-tongue somebody else. And, and so then there were those, well, no, no, we're not going to believe in the gifts anymore. And, you know, so, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, think, I think offense has a lot to do with it, I, I, I believe. So that's a great question. Yeah. question here. Can you uh, talk about how you walk with other believers who oppose this yeah. way of thinking and understanding? Yeah. Um, patiently and listen and talk. You know, there's a, a very well-known um, pastor, national, international pastor who does not like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he holds conferences against them. And he points out every weird thing that's ever happened, which weird things have happened. You know, we've had, you know, I've had, you know, weird things happen. I, I was in a meeting one time where someone was, was mad and they prophesied, um, yea, I, the Lord, am no longer here. And uh, he wanted to say, uh, Ichabod, meaning my glory departs, he said, I write Michelob over this entire meeting. And, and so, it, you know, it's kind of kind of like, okay. Some people like that word. I take the amen. You know, so, but, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, and, and it, it would be easy to react. And so I found just dialoguing. Uh, the, this one international uh, Bible teacher, pastor, uh, he says, my Bible says this. And then he always says at the end of his talk, end discussion. Like, you know, there's no, no room to talk. So even at the back of my book, I wrote, this is not end discussion. It's let the discussion begin. Let's talk. And I think we need to learn how in the body of Christ to process things better. You know, how to share our opinions, but how to hear each other too. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're finding our voice, but we're not finding our tone. And social media has not helped with that. We just blast away. I think this, I think that. And we, we got so much fighting going on in the church. It doesn't have to be. I think so as we're patient, we listen. And, and uh, like I said at the beginning, I'd rather it feel in the body of Christ like a living room than a courtroom. So let's, let's talk about that. Let me, let me hear you and let you know, hear me. And, you know, so it was three years of dialogue with our elders. And I was the youngest. 
and uh, I respected the older men. Uh, we didn't always agree. In fact, sometimes it got really intense. And then we would just stop and say, hold it, we're moving in the flesh right now. Let's not, let's not be yelling at each other. Let's not be accusing one another of wrong motives. Let's just hear, you have a conviction, you have a conviction. Let's pray about this. So, you know, I think it takes time, especially old traditions take a while to, you know, to be addressed. Um, I like, I love the, the Passion Translation, quoting Jesus in Luke eleven thirty five, says, quoting Jesus, don't mistake your opinions for revelation light. That would solve a lot of problems if we, if we said, you know, I've got an opinion on this, but I want to hear yours. And, you know, so, but I think patience and listening, quick to hear, slow to speak, you know. One of, one of the things, too, that just helps in any dialogue, this will help in marriage, this will help in friendships, help in churches processing tough issues, uh, is uh, part of understanding is to hear what someone says and then feed it back to them and say, this is what I hear you saying. Is that what you're saying? And they can say, well, no, I wasn't saying that. I wasn't meaning that. I was meaning this. And, you know, we, we can really work this out. Uh, but I think we've had a lot of dysfunction in the church. People get offended. They leave one place. They, I'm out of here. I'm, a, you know. And how many dramatic exits do you have to have to try to make your point? And you know, I mean, it's, it's just crazy. They said they said they found this desert island with one guy on it. And when they found him, there were there were uh, there was a hut that he lived in, and then there was a, a another hut and another hut. And they said, uh, what what is what is this hut? Well, that's the church. I go to. Well, what's this hut? That's the one I used to go to. <laughs> so, so you know, we, you know, we tend to, on one man on the island. Yeah, we, we, we tend to, you know, I, I just think there's a better way to learn to process. So. Um, a thought, then I'm going to piggyback on his question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... I know for me, Pastor Kendra had shared that she questioned whether she got the wrong gift. And for me, um, I would, honestly, I would dread like network conferences or something like that because inevitably somebody would come up to us and ask who we are and how we fit and um, I'm not Lancaster County. My maiden name doesn't sound Lancaster County. I'm a stay-at-home mom. And so I always felt like I am the bottom of the bottom. And it was, uh, at one point, I, I told my husband, watch what happens. And I told him what to watch for. I said, this is going to happen. Watch. Somebody's going to come up to us, and they're going to introduce themselves, and they're going to ask who we are, how we're connected, where we go to church, what do we do, and he's going to say what he does for a living. And then I'm going to say I'm a homeschool mom. I'm a stay-at-home homeschool mom. And inevitably, somebody's going to look at me super-duper, like, compassionate and tell me, you have the most important, valuable job, and I don't want you to ever forget that. And then they want to have an intellectual conversation, and they will literally turn their posture and talk to my husband, whether it was, it didn't matter who it was, and um, yeah, it's, it was a, it's been a process 
of just having grace <laughs> mm-hmm. for those moments because I don't think people realize they do it. No. I don't think no. they even, I, it has happened with people who would verbally say they completely value women and women in ministry. Mm-hmm. And so my piggyback question is how do you encourage or what do you encourage a woman to do in those relationships and how do you respond because I can tell you I don't know about every other woman in this room but the instinct to just pull back when you're in relationship or conversation with somebody who disagrees with a woman having a voice um the instinct to pull back is strong and yeah so how do you encourage a woman to posture herself in those relationships and for the husband and the the man too there's a protector that rises up in those moments that wants to protect and affirm and you know kind of I mean, for me, go to war yeah. with um, in those situations, but not tear down relationship at the same time. Yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd have to say I've seen women either feel pitied and condescended to or persecuted. Because if they, if they do speak up, if they are strong in their temperament, their personality, their gifting, they're called Jezebel right away. And I will tell you, there are times I really wish Jezebel would have been a guy. I don't know what we would do with it, but um, these labels get thrown around uh, on women. They're judgments. There's just one Jezebel, and the, the, exactly. And um, uh, so I, I would say, um, you know, find find your um, find your identity and your security in the Lord. But don't back off from fully showing up. We need everybody to fully show up. I was in a very uh, machismo shepherding movement where the leaders were in charge. And I dared to ask a couple questions about the way things were going. And I was told in no uncertain terms that authority in that group went like this. This person was over me. I was under him. He could tell me whatever he wanted to, but when I went to tell him, the valve was shut, and I had no right to even question. And scriptures were used of don't touch the anointed and don't speak up. And if you do speak up, you're, you're, being, uh, you know, you're being disrespectful. And um, I'm telling you, we have seen over the last several years, because judgment is beginning in the house of God, that those leaders, predominantly male leaders, who had no accountability, it's things are coming out now that were going on behind closed doors that are that are shocking. But it's because a system was created of superiority, hero worship, don't question anything, and uh, it's God's bringing it down. It, I believe He's I believe His judgment's beginning in the house of God. I think God's going after these things which includes that. But in that system, as a guy who is mercy motivated, I cry at Hallmark movies quicker than my wife does 
Now, lately I'm crying too because it's the same actors in the same script, and I'm like, get me a fork, I can't take this anymore. So that I cry differently now than I used to. But, you know, I'm more the mercy person, and I was told, well, you're not manly enough, you're not this enough, you gotta be, you know, ah. and, and so I was, I was being challenged by, the, by this, in this machismo shepherding group to, you know, come on. And so, uh, my wife and I, when we got married in that, and we were in that group, they said, if you're really a man, you're going to do the finances. And you're never going to cook. You're never going to be caught in the kitchen except when you're called to supper. So you don't cook. Well, I cook. I love to cook. I'm the oldest in my family, uh, my, my sibs. And I, I cooked when, when, uh, you know, when they were little on up. They loved when I cooked. And my mom was not the best cook. When my brother and sister discovered that manna in the Bible meant, what is it? They would say, mom makes manna. <laughs> we have no clue what that is. You know, it's Campbell's soup, noodles, and mystery meat, and I have no idea what it is. And so they like when I cook. But when Sherry and I got married and we were in this machismo group, they said, you've got to do the finances and you've got to. Well, well, my wife is so gifted. She grew up in a business family. She is so gifted with finances. She's so gifted with decision-making business-wise. I'm not. But we followed the rules and the roles that were put on us. We almost starved and went bankrupt <laughs> because we weren't allowed to be in our gift. Now we're empty nesters. I love cooking. She, she's got the, I, when I left home today, she had the table laid out with our finances and our, you know, our different categories. And she, and she loves it. And she's gifted for it. So I think that's a little microcosm. And we just need to be comfortable with who we are and uh, the other people can just eventually get a life and we just be who, be who we are and uh, some of these traditions die hard. Sometimes you gotta, you got to have thick skin and tender heart, not reversed. Don't let your heart get hard and your thin your, you know, skin gets so soft that you get offended a lot. Just understand we're going to have to endure some days of, of some... Um, you know, being misunderstood, being accused, you know. Um, I mean, uh, stupid juice is still drank in the church, and there's some stuff that people do and say that we just have to kind of understand that it's going to take some time till, till we see it change. But it's, it's, you know, we lost some people. There are people left our church because we took, we took this new posture. But now we've got a whole new wave of younger people. We've got a whole new system. I, I tell you what, God's going after a number of things in this whole area. Abuse is being addressed by the Lord because in the name of forgiveness and submission and submit to your husband, there's a whole lot of junk going on that is really taken out of context and the Holy Spirit's going after it. And uh, a friend of mine gave me a book about a year ago or so called The Great Sex Rescue. And it's a book about, I had to watch, my, my granddaughters are coming to the house and they can read now. And so there's, what's grandpa reading? You know, and I, I have to, you know, put the book away when they come. But The Great Sex Rescue is about going into the books that we typically have given people on the issue of marriage and see that there's a trend in those books that is really deadly. And so uh, God's bringing out truth these days and, you know. So, sorry for that long answer, but I think all that's, I think it's all interrelated, you know. I mean, Mark and his wife Diane um, oversee a ministry to uh, uh, those who are in domestic abuse. 
But there are people that have hassled us and said, we don't think there's any domestic abuse in the church. You know, it's the body of Christ. Come on. But right now, we're, they're, they're caring for about how many women? Twelve women are being cared for, some in safe houses, just to, to have a place to process. We're not moving them toward divorce. We're just moving them to a place of safety while they process what's going on. But I'm telling you, the kind of abuse that goes on in the name of, you know, I sat in my office two weeks ago with a, with a, a young woman whose husband is a leader in a church, beats up their dog and beats her up. She was given from a friend of hers a body cam to, to just, because no one was believing her. And, and they actually thought she was hitting herself to make the bruises on her face. She wore a body cam. He came in the house angry about something, almost killed their dog, threw their little dog in, against the wall. She said one word, no. He came and beat her up. She showed the, the footage to her leaders in her church, and they said, you provoked him to wrath because you yelled no when he threw the dog against the wall. And you should obey what Peter said. You win your husband without a word. You had no right to speak up when the dog was being beaten. You should keep your mouth shut. You provoked him. And I will tell you, this is going on in a Pentecostal, tongue-talking, Bible-thumping church where they believe that it's the woman's fault if there are marriage problems. So this is a wider spread issue. It's, a, it's not just about roles in the church. It's affected the home. And I believe the Holy Spirit is, is in love going after it to set both men free from being abusive and women free from being, you know, enablers in the name of obeying the Bible. So, sorry for my soapbox, but I, I feel it so passionately because I'm, I'm a dad. And I got a call a year and a half ago from my daughter. And she said, Daddy, I didn't know last night if I would be beaten or dead. And it's the very first time as a dad I knew anything was going on behind closed doors. So I got burped into the whole world of abuse is going on and it needs to be addressed to bring healing. So I'm not saying this out of retaliation. Guys, I love men. I love women. I want to see everybody free. But this whole cycle has got to stop. And all of these things are interrelated, I believe. I think I think the Lord's just wanting to bring truth to bear. So, do you have anything? Yeah. In, in response to your question, too, um, my wife and I are not unfamiliar with what you're saying, and uh, sometimes it's in reverse roles. But one of the things that, it, if you are able to stand in the security and confidence of who you are. And I suspect you're intelligent. You homeschool. So my wife homeschooled. I'm not touching that. I mean, seriously, I'm not touching that. Um, I don't know how she did it. It's amazing. And that's not just words. That's like truly. But um, if you are able to stand in the place and in the confidence of who you are and release, as Dave said, release who you are, and as a husband, often you can find places just in those conversations to defer to your wife or 
intentionally include her in, and then you're becoming a landing zone for those around you that are not used to that and uh, that want to speak to the male, being the implied intelligent one. But they might be surprised what they find. And it really does help make a change. So letting, them, letting others see uh, what's available, see the potential, see how this functions is, is really important. So hopefully that helps. Question here. Yeah. Um, I have an acquaintance who is a woman who is in, she's not in seminary, she's getting her master's in theology and is, she leans a little bit more on the reformed side, but has some charismatic beliefs. But one of the ones that she definitely does not have is that women can teach and she is a teaching gift. And so, I really want to encourage her and talk to her about it, but she's very, like, in this specific area, no. It says in the Bible this. So I don't know how to approach that. Like, I literally thought about buying your book and sending it to her in the mail. (laughs) I considered it. I might still do that. But I'm wondering if there's a conversation that I can have with her, like a way to, to approach it in a not aggressive way that will help her to see it from a different perspective. Just a, just a thought. The fact that she's gifted to teach, just process that with her. How, how do you feel like, the, okay, the Lord, do you believe the Lord gave you this gift? And, and, okay, how do you think the Lord would have you express that gift? And just kind of just dialogue with her. I find that that conversation is much better than talking with someone is a lot better than talking at. I hear you want to talk with her, and that's wonderful. But I think just processing with her those very things. Because right now, there is an overreaction among charismatics to the Reformed uh, camp because they've seen abuses of the gifts of the Spirit. They've seen abuses of authority. They've seen hero worship and top-down leadership in charismatic circles, and they're reacting against it all and throwing it all a baby with the bathwater. But I think I think us keeping the doors open to dialogue is the best thing we can do. So I would, I just keep talking to her, and uh, you know, your gift makes room for you. Proverbs says so. You know, God will open a door for her. And uh, let's face it, how many of us have unlearned certain things we used to feel real staunchly about, and you know, just comes with time. So. Well, Dave, this has yeah. been really good, and it's been a blessing to, to hear you talk. You know, and why is it so important? And I come back to this, that, you know, there, is a, there are people all around us that don't know Jesus yet. Yeah. We need to be working together Amen. to continue to build the kingdom. This is not about a him or her issue. It's about us working together to build the kingdom. And so, Dave, I just appreciate if you would just pray that blessing over yeah, us as yeah. a congregation, as uh, yeah. men and women working together to continue to build the kingdom, and that we can see the gifts that God has given to each of us and placed us in teams and in, in groups and in circles and in places so that together we can continue to share 
his love. And that's really what it comes down to, working together to share the love of Jesus with those around us. And yeah. so if you just pray that blessing, I just really, yeah. really appreciate I, that. I, I, and then I, yeah. Kendra's just going to close with a few other things yeah. at the end. I feel like the Lord wants to touch all of our eyes so that we see one another in through the spirit and not through the, the natural. And we stop the judgments that have been made. You know, any like any time a woman speaks up, well, she's Jezebel. Or any time a guy defers, well, he's Ahab, he's passive. You know, it's just not. So that we would see one another with value. What what are the gifts? The this, this sister that you mentioned that was a teaching gift. And then how to pray and encourage them to, to come forth into their calling. So, so, Father, open our eyes to see with you from a new perspective. Actually, the word repent, the word penthouse comes from the word repent. It means to see with new eyes. Penthouse, you see from an aerial view. We see with new eyes. Give us new eyes. Help us to see your word in light of what you really intended to say. Show us where we've made judgments and assumptions, even with your word. Uh, let's face it, the Bible has been used to reinforce slavery in our nation in generations past. So the Bible can be misapplied and misinterpreted. Lord, show us if there's any twisted way in us and lead us in your truth. And I thank you that you're committed to do that. I bless this house. I bless your sis, my, my sisters and brothers, your daughters and sons. I bless them. Let them all come forth and shine uh, in, in the ways that you've created them to shine. And to be who you've made them to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you for... Uh, um, you know, trusting the eagles to take care of what the eagles need to take care of, and uh, and and being here, being here together. So, anybody got the score at all? Anybody here? Twenty-eight, twenty-three. See, look, even as we're here interceding, God's moving, and, and it's, it's wonderful. So, <laughs> also, none of our Cowboys fans showed up tonight. Oh, really? Yeah. Really. Oh, Oh, Ada is here. Sorry. I didn't see Chuck. I didn't see. Okay. I take that back. We do have one Cowboys fan among us. Okay. Well, she's just not pray? as, she's just not quite we pray a, for her now? She's not as diehard as some. Oh, good. So I got you. She's safe. Well, that's, that's amazing. All right. Thank uh, you, Dave. Uh -huh, sure. um, I just wanted to, in closing, I just wanted to let you know that Dave did bring some of his books along. If you are interested in the um a deeper dive in what he has written um he didn't he kind of downplayed this this was your dissertation right well it's or no it. it's based on your dissertation you write dissertations for no one to read yeah <laughs> eighty thousand words right no yeah, yeah no. <laughs> so this this was readable i just yeah you know, i used the research but i wrote i wrote it like people talk Gotcha. No one talks like they do in a dissertation. Right. Okay. So the study for your dissertation was turned into a book. Are, so he has spent hours and hours of... Okay. $10. And also, if you guys have any other questions, um, please feel free to come and talk to Dave on your own. Um, also, if you have questions... Dwayne and I are willing to talk with people, too. And um, Lester Zimmerman also has a little booklet... Um, which Lester Zimmerman is the apostolic leader for the Hopewell Network.
Um, so it's not just one voice that we've been kind of digging into and leaning into um, on this topic. So I do have other resources that I can um, suggest to you as well if you have other questions. So thank you, Dave, mm -hmm. for being here. Yes.